Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm your host, Bo Nellis, and this is episode 94. Talk to a doctor. We're going to talk to Dr. Roshna Patel. She is a marijuana specializing doctor out of the Bay Area. I first came across Dr. Patel through other podcasts, and I do believe that I've talked about her on the podcast before. So I decided to reach out to her and see if I could ask her some of the things that I wasn't getting from the podcast that I was listening to, if I could maybe expand on that a little bit more. We had a really wonderful conversation, um, so we'll get to that here pretty soon. But first, let's open up with some stoner moments. First things first, um, I want to kind of be a little bit more somber and give a, uh, a shout out to two friends that I met through Americans for Safe Access Unity Conferences. Um, and that would be Laughing Bear and Kathy Mashad, two incredible cannabis activists and patients and just brilliant people. They loved animals and they loved fighting for their rights to good health. And, um, and it, it, it's sad to see Arkansas be getting their medical program without them, quite frankly. So here's to Laughing Bear and Kathy. The next Unity I get to definitely won't be the same without you guys there. And to the rest of us who are, be careful on the roads, please. Moving on to some happier things. Um, as a stoner moment, last week I was talking about going to a dispensary that my friend Danielle had recommended to me. And as a referral, she got to pick between these different cannabis strains. And in Southern California, there's there's this program um, for first-time patients and referrals in most dispensaries, and it's a way to incentivize bringing people in the door. And it, it's different for every place, but usually when you refer somebody, you get some sort of swag. You get, uh, you know, maybe a free gram or a free joint or maybe a credit. Um, this particular place their referrals got an eighth out of this like special bin of eighths that they had had. And the referral had to be present at the time. So I made sure my girl was with me. And uh, and then she got to pick her eighth. So however, if you aren't familiar with the local Southern California cannabis dispensary scene, you probably were like, what the fuck are you talking about? So that's what the fuck I was talking about. And then the strain that she let me buy instead of picking out for herself, Ingrid. Now, if you go on Leafly or Google and check out Ingrid, it typically comes off as an indica. But on the jar, it was listed as a sativa. So I did talk to one bud tender. There was one bud tender there who knew what the fuck he was talking about. I had asked about subcritical CO2 cartridges at this place, and they just like straight up BS'd me with some nonsense about some cartridges that I know very well are not subcritical CO2. They are supercritical CO2, and there's a difference there. A whole goddamn metaphysical world of difference, all right? You hear me? Um, but this one butt tender that kind of like meandered out near the end of our visit described this particular batch of Ingrid as very in your face, very sativa-like in its experience. You know, the center of your face gets warm and blushed and hot and it's a little anxiety and racy. And I was like, that's that's what the fuck I'm talking about right there. And having that kind of a tender experience to really bring out the nuances of these phenos in every batch is an integral part of the dispensary experience. There should be people testing everything that comes into that dispensary so they can teach and train everybody else who isn't going to use it, what exactly it does. And this is part of the dispensary experience, at least in Southern California, 
98% of the places uh, that is severely lacking. And I know it's not relegated to just Southern California um, being a problem here. It's a problem all over. The industry just isn't prepared for the kind of influx of of employment opportunities that are going to be coming in. And business owners just don't tend to care you know, whether or not their staff are trained properly or not to help patients. But dude, that one dude, I appreciate. And, and unfortunately, it really just comes down to trusting your better judgment when you're around people to be able to tell if they're bullshitting you or not. Um, and then listening to the Spliff podcast, of course. Speaking of which, if you have listened and you have not reviewed yet, get on that. I can get reviews anywhere that you're listening for the most part. I may not always find them, but people who listen in the same place as you do will find them. But speaking of which, there was an iTunes or Apple podcast review that I discovered on the iTunes Canada store. So thank you so much, Mindsight 2020. I definitely got your review and I appreciate it so much. Um, the author said that the podcast was a buoy. And uh, I, I can tell you that I, I have perfect flotation, all right? Very even top to bottom. I can... I can just float straight up in a pool or the ocean, all right? So yeah, that was a very appropriate metaphor. But I also hope that other people have found it to be an appropriate metaphor because they found the information I'm sharing to be helpful and life-saving in a very confusing marketplace. Yeah, Mindsight's 2020. All right, you guys, I'm going to finish the rest of this bowl for Laughing Bear and Kathy, and I'm going to roll the Dr. Patel interview. Like I said, she is a medical marijuana expert in her field, mostly because she's a doctor who's actually willing to work with patients and learn from them and study the science. Um, she is a doctor, so she is very dedicated to her craft and really relies on empirical evidence to make the decisions, or I should say to help her make the decisions that she does when working with patients. She's not quite as fast and loose with uh, cannabis as I am in suggesting it. She's got a much more measured approach to it, which we try and get into. Another reason that I really wanted to interview her for my podcast, because I could have asked her questions just over Facebook or YouTube or something like that, she's very receptive, uh, is that I want my listeners, especially those who are not stoners, who are not regular cannabis users, or who have found a, a, a harder time of really pursuing cannabis successfully than um, a lot of their, their counterparts have, to hear these things from a doctor because I'm not a doctor. I'm just a stoner who studied history and is pretty adept at taking anecdotes and science and coming out with some pretty logical conclusions. But that doesn't make me a doctor. So I hope that actually listening to a doctor can assuage fears and convince people that this is a legitimate pursuit. So here you go. Without further ado... Dr. Roshna Patel. You're in the Bay Area. Um, and one of the things that I want to know, because I know that I have out-of-state people who listen to this, do you see people via Skype or do they have to come to your office? Okay, so not yet, but very soon what I'm doing is I'm creating protocols that people can have access to out-of-state um, so that they have the information on hand and that will then walk them through how to safely use the medical marijuana for their specific medical condition. <clears throat> and then I'm also going to be setting up uh, a telemedicine portal to be able to work with folks out of state because that has been a huge demand that I've been getting. Um, so I am working on that. It's currently not in place, but it should be very soon. Okay, awesome. So yeah, I bet you have incredible demand for that. And in the meantime, you have your YouTube channel too that people can 
Yeah. Too, right. Yep. Yeah. And that's really important to me that, you know, if anybody is not able to see me, um, to access me, whatever, mm-hmm. what, you know, mm-hmm. one of my missions is that, um, and this has a lot to why I became a lot to do with why I became a doctor, but, um, to, to serve people even, um, you know, pro bono. I love it. I love it. And, uh, I did see that you speak three languages. I do. <laughs> I Perfect. do. Yeah, so Actually, English. Actually, more than three. I speak English, and then I grew up speaking Gujarati, which is a dialect, an Indian dialect. Um, and then I know some Hindi from watching Bollywood movies growing up. Um, and then I know Spanish. Um, and I think that's about it. All right, fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that's definitely going to create or allow you to reach a lot more people, too. So. Yeah. Um, and I noticed uh, that you are collecting information from people. You have a patient survey if people found that they can, that, that medical marijuana has, and you have no problem calling it medical marijuana, I noticed. You, you call yourself a medical marijuana expert, and I want to talk about that too. Um, but uh, you also have patient surveys. That, are you collecting information for research or just to back up your anecdotes or... No, that's actually more like a self-assessment for the people that can't come and see me. I've tried because one of the one of the questions that I always get is, you know, is it is the medical marijuana going to work for me? And, you know, it doesn't work for every condition. There are certain conditions for which it works for. And so I've created a self-assessment so that people can go through it and sort of figure out, okay, you know, uh, uh, is this right for me or is it not right for me? Oh, that's awesome. Even more resources for free, um, which is great. Um, so going back to the medical marijuana thing, uh, as a doctor, you feel comfortable using medical marijuana or is that mostly just as a way to effectively communicate to people? You mean like the word marijuana? Yeah, because I know that it's real. I mean, I have no yep. problem with it myself. But yeah. um, I know that it's, you know, everybody's trying to, to lean towards cannabis. Yep. And it's a big to do. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I know it has um, a, a sort of culturally not good um, roots to it. Um, and the reason I use it is that it is because it's well recognized over the word cannabis. And so it's just for communication purposes. But I do acknowledge that it has sort of, um, uh, you know, culturally like uh, not goodness to it. So I, I, I do know that, but it's it's for ease of communication purposes. And then that makes total sense, too. So I'm, me personally, I'm like a, a stoner vigilante and I'm like, I'm taking back my word. <laughs> I, I have no problem with it. Um, going back to the demand for out of state and things like that, too, as an expert, do you find yourself working mostly with beginners or would you do you see a wide spectrum of patients, more advanced patients, both in manner of disease and their needs uh, with cannabis and then also in their knowledge? Okay, sure. So I see a wide spectrum. I have sort of the beginner who's like, um, and, and I'm using the word beginner for lack of a better term, but you know, someone who's completely naive, naive is a better word, uh, completely naive to marijuana. And they come in and they're like, Dr. Patel, I have never touched marijuana in my life before. I've never smoked anything. So, um, so that's, that's one end of the spectrum. And then I do have people that are like, look, I've been using marijuana on a everyday basis since the 1960s. Um, uh, but even then, those patients come out of my office having learned something. Um, so, so it's a wide spectrum. I'd say on average, I have mainly patients that have uh, used marijuana, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe they didn't have a good experience from it. But now, you know, they're now an adult and um, they're looking to use it medically, but without getting those sort of uh, uh, negative side effects yeah, from it. They don't want to get too stoned. They yep, just want exactly. to go to sleep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, uh, I've noticed that like you kind of go into even strain recommendations. Did I see that correctly? Where you actually will tell patients which strains to get. Do you find it difficult working around the um, the doctor dispensary kind of chasm that has to be there legally? 
Okay, so here's, first of all, here's my take on strains. I The strain names, first of all, they're ridiculous, you know, like OG Kush, Sour Diesel. Um, and, you, and, and as a doctor, for, for a doctor to, to say, oh, you know, you should be using Purple Trainwreck, that just sounds ridiculous. And, and I mean, for, from a more scientific standpoint, <clears throat> the, the strains, they're not easily quantifiable. Okay, so what I mean by that is that you can go get a, str a certain strain from one dispensary, and then you go get that same strain from another dispensary, and guess what? You may not get the same effect from it. Same thing if you go to the same dispensary. You know, you buy you buy sour diesel one time, and then you go back and you pick up a sour diesel. You're not going to get the same effect from it. So really what I'm focusing on are the exact amounts of the cannabinoids, so mainly THC and CBD that are in the products. That's a more exact science, and that's that's a better way to get consistent results, which is what I'm focused on with my patients. So, so I don't really give strain recommendations, but I'm walking patients through um, uh, um, amounts of CBD and THC that they should be looking for in the products for their specific medical condition. Okay. So do you also recommend terpenes on top of it? So here's the interesting thing about terpenes. I was actually reading a, a recent study, and what they did was they boiled marijuana and then they heated up marijuana, okay? Now, when they boiled marijuana at low heat and then they tested the, the marijuana for terpenes, guess what? There was barely any left. And the same thing when they heated marijuana in like an oven or something. It, terpenes are highly volatile compounds. They evaporate very, very quickly, which is why they give that fragrance because they're evaporating so quickly that you can smell them in the air everywhere. So I'm not quite sure of what how much of the terpenes actually remain once the, the product is heated for it to have any effect. So that is something I'm actually in the process of researching right now, and I'll probably have a video on it coming out in the future. Okay, so um, now I, again, as a stoner apologist, to me, the strain names are indicative of those terpenes that are actually in the plant. Because uh, those terpenes are really responsible for navigating the experience and giving us that sativa or indica beyond just the, the, the cultivars need to know how the plant, uh, you know, in their environment needs to be. But um, so are you mostly like suggesting tinctures and oils and, and kinds of concentrates that are isolates um, or mostly just deal with those cannabinoid ratios? Um, yeah, so I definitely don't recommend that my patients smoke because of the long term, you know, potential for for damage that it can do to the body. But other options, um, uh, you know, there's a wide variety of different um, options that patients have in terms of methods of delivery, right? So there's there's vaginal formulations, there's rectal formulations, there's oral formulations, there are sublingual formulations. So all of those I recommend based on the specific medical condition. What I found is that certain delivery methods work better for certain conditions compared to others. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, I was just talking um, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about how I've been using CBD to help um, balance my, menst my menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dealing with that is the insomnia that comes with it and uh -huh. CBD um in CBD isolate infused into coconut oil that's also been infused with raw cannabis so THCA um works so much more efficiently as a rectal suppository on a nightly basis to help me sleep and just deal with the emotional stuff that comes with the menstrual cycle so much more effectively than taking an oral dose at any time mm -hmm. of the day. Um, so yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, and that may have to do, go ahead, no, uh, go right sorry, ahead. No. that may have to do with absorption, right? So, um, or we don't have much information in terms of um, how well or how uh, you know, one route compared to the other, how well the chemicals are being absorbed. But based on what you're telling me, you know, say it's the same amount oral versus rectal, um, and say it's being absorbed better through through the oral tract than it is through the rectal tract. Then that you know that goes to show you that you know that that smaller amount is having a better effect in that it's not giving you any side effects. So that may may be the case. <laughs> 
I'm not mm-hmm. certain at this point. Yeah, it's real complicated. So there's there's a lot of theories I have for it too. And definitely absorption rate is is a big one. Uh, do you work with the raw cannabinoids as well? Do you uh, do you know much about the acidic forms? So the acidic forms are a very unstable form. And any sort of UV light exposure or heat exposure will quickly turn them into neutral forms. So that's THC and CBD. Um, so, And as far as I know, in all the research studies that I've read, I haven't found much in terms of the acidic forms. I don't know how much the acidic forms actually interact in our bodies and also how quickly the acidic forms are being, you know, just turned into the neutral forms in our bodies, whether it be, you know, exposure to heat or, um, um, you know, certain pH levels. So I'm not very sure of the science behind the acidic forms, but I know that for certain what I do know is that it's a very unstable compound. Uh, yes, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, I would say that there are ways to infuse it and create bonds that help make it more stable. Um, a friend of mine has a product that she makes called Soothing Sues, and it's that raw cannabis infused coconut oil. And it, it remains much more stable, though it still responds to heat and, uh, and light to uh, it, it'll decarboxylate it. It's a much slower process because of how strong that bond is. And there is a study out of Sweden that talks about active forms and acidic forms of cannabis um, in comparison to NSAIDs um, that I would love to forward you. Yeah, um, that would yeah. be great. I'd love to look into Speaking that. Speaking of which, is it prostaglandins? Prostaglandins? Prostaglandins. Prostaglandins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I talked about that a few weeks ago. And I was like, I have no idea how this word is said, but we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> um, I, I use the uh, the acidic forms a lot for hemorrhoids, uh, sinus inflammation, gingivitis, and uh, just uh, joint pain. It's, it's wonderful for that. So yeah. I definitely recommend uh, knowing more about that too. Yeah. So all the conditions that you mentioned, the one thing that's in common with all those conditions is inflammation. And one of the things that NSAIDs do is they, they're called um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. That's what NSAID stands for. So they're anti-inflammatories. Now, marijuana has very potent anti-inflammatory properties. So do, do you see sort of the, the pattern there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So and and, uh, I think the reason that I ended up finding the study was I had heard that NSAIDs were bad to use when um, when you have a broken bone, because they can actually delay the bone regrowth process. And uh, I am a klutz. So I break fingers and toes all the time. And I noticed that the immediate application of cannabis oil to the site not only relieves a lot of the pain immediately, mm-hmm. um, but it also shortened it shortened the, the the healing time for me. Though I would always get this weird twinge like a week later, like deep deep in the bone, um, which is it was just a weird. Uh, side effect like it happened so fast that I didn't even notice it and then I was like no 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 still healing um but I really wanted to know if there was anything out there that that suggested as to why and this study looked at that answer specifically because the NSAIDs um not only inhibit uh the the COX-1 and 2 but they also mm-hmm. inhibit the prostaglandin production whereas cannabinoids in varying states of, of raw and active forms have different effects on different inflammation sites, and um, they do not inhibit prostaglandin production. Uh, so it's, it was just fascinating to me. Yeah, that is. I'd love to actually take a look at that study. You got Yeah, I'm going to send it uh, right after this is done. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so uh, you are a really busy doctor, obviously. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, what should patients know before they come to you? What What helps you effectively address their needs? Okay, sure. So one of the things is that marijuana is not a cure-all, right? Um, I think a lot of times it's being touted as a cure-all. And so there are definitely certain conditions for which it it, it doesn't work effectively. Let me give you an example. Blood pressure, for instance. So there's a big misconception that marijuana helps to, to stabilize blood pressure. And um, 
over time, after I, you know, after seeing patients for a period of three to four years, what I found is that long-term use of marijuana doesn't have any effect on blood pressure. My patients who've who've been on blood pressure medications have had to continue to stay on these medications to help stabilize their blood pressure. So, and obviously, you know, somebody needs to to knowledge enough needs to tell you this. So that's why I'm trying to put out as much information as possible on my website. So first thing, the question to ask is, you know, is it actually going to work for my condition? Um, There are certainly conditions for which it works. The three most common conditions for which I found it very effective are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Um, And of course, there are definitely conditions like like see any you know seizure disorders, um, patients who have cancer, it's effective in helping to reduce nausea, vomiting, um, uh, help to prevent any any sort of weight loss, especially if they're undergoing chemotherapy. Um, so so that's really the first question to ask. Um, and then you know I know that patients have concerns about things like side effects, and those can always be addressed with the combination of chemicals that you're taking, the dosing, um, and also how frequently you're taking the, the medical marijuana as well. So I definitely, you know, want to sort of alleviate those concerns. Whatever we tend to hear in the media, or if you've used marijuana in in your past, um, whether it's in high school or in college, and you had, you know, adverse side effects from it, it's typically because because people use too much of it. And and that's where the side effects come from. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Start slowly, find the right dose and just stay there. Um, except unless you're me and, and want to push it. <laughs> but that's that's a different that's a totally different topic. Um, oh, man, oh, I was just gonna ask you a question, and then I forgot it. No, 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 I'm gonna think of it. Um, let me see here. Crap. Well, this part's going to be edited out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I totally spaced here. Um, It was a really good question. I was like, that's a great question. I got to make sure to ask it. But then I wanted to listen to what you were saying. Oh, I remember what it was now. Sure, sure. Uh, How do you – it wasn't with patients. It actually had to deal with other doctors. How how are you perceived – uh, how, uh, what is your experience like being perceived by other doctors, both um, allopathic and more naturopathic, uh, just in general, you being a, a marijuana expert doctor? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So I started in the field in 2012, and then I opened up my own practice in 2014. And usually the way it typically works is that if a doctor opens up their own practice, you usually go to other practices in the area, you know, relevant um, specialties, and you just let them know that, hey, I've opened up this practice. If you ever have patients that have, you know, questions or concerns um, or something that you can't address, then, you know, you can go ahead and refer them over to me. And then you usually do the same, right? Because I'm not like, for instance, a cancer doctor. So, so you know, if so, I'm not going to be actually treating a patient's cancer. So I would refer them over to an oncologist. So interesting thing is that I never got past any office managers. You know, I, the door was sort of slammed in my face. Um, and and this is California, the Bay Area too, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and I think they'd be more lenient, more accepting. Yeah. yeah. So um, so not the case. But what's interesting is that now I've had my practice open for a good four years, and now I get referrals from doctors that I've actually never even met before. You know, because I'll ask patients, you know, how did you come to know about me? And they they'll say, oh, you know, such and such a doctor referred referred you to me. And so I'm finding that, you know, really surprising that that's happening. Um, And I've actually even gotten phone calls from doctors around the country where they have questions about medical marijuana. And so they're turning to me um, for answers. So, yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, but the thing is, is that also it wasn't until 2014 that Colorado started to implement their whole for recreational use program. So we've come a long way in a very short span of time. And so I think at this point, doctors have no choice but to educate themselves about it because whether they like it or not, at least in 
eight states in the United States, you know, patients have access to it. And if it works for them, for pain, for anxiety, for insomnia, they're going to use it. So it's it behooves them to to be educated about it. Right. I, I think it becomes an, a kind of obligatory at that yep. point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I agree. I think that it's moved tremendously since Colorado really legalized it recreationally. And we always point to Colorado because they're the ones who allowed the access and Washington really restricted the access. So we didn't see such movement from out of Washington affect the nation. Um, do you see doctors talking about this in seminars coming up? And because it's still trying to get it into medical schools is exceptionally difficult. And and like you said, it's moving very rapidly, but it's really just kind of sparsed out all over the place to those who are willing to be open-minded to it. Do you see it becoming a little bit more institutionalized and friendly anytime you know, in your future? Maybe bits and pieces here and there, but it certainly has not caught up to the actual social movement is, is what I what I can tell you. Yeah, you know, well, they're very different spectrums. Yeah, again, yeah. social movement, we're talking strains and like seminars, it, like, I think, simply introducing the endocannabinoid system is kind of like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, so I you know, I've actually back in let's see, this was back in 2014. Again, I actually approached my medical school because I went to medical school in the Bay Area. So I approached them and I was like, you know, how do you feel about me um, uh, coming in and teaching a class on on medical marijuana? I didn't really get much of a response from um, from, you know, any of the the people on the admin at that point in time. So uh, lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Doctors tend to be really conservative as a whole. Um, so. So, you know, they might be the, the, the sort of the, the late adapters of medical marijuana. Yeah, I well, I, I definitely think that a lot of patients feel that the medical profession as a whole is, mm-hmm. um, is stonewalling the, the movement um, in many ways, you know, along with the pharmaceutical industry, obviously, they, they kind of go hand in hand for yep. a lot of people. Yeah. So, um well, and actually, yes. go ahead. So just an interesting point that I wanted to make back in 1937. So this is when um, a politician named Harry Anslinger, he instituted the, the marijuana tax. Uh, it's called the Marijuana Tax Act. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. Yep. Yeah. And so basically, uh, anybody that wanted to either use, sell, prescribe marijuana had to pay, you know, some exorbitant amount of money. And the American Medical Association was against this because marijuana was already available over the counter at at pharmacies for patients to use. So it's really interesting the stark contrast between present day and what was the case in 1937 between doctors. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the so, pharma- pharmacist period, how they they've kind of just the whole arc from one end to the other is is really interesting. Yeah, totally. So, and I think we're headed back in that direction. I think eventually a, a lot of doctors will come around. And also from a scientific standpoint, they're going to come around because the endocannabinoid system is very, very important to the human body, uh, which we're discovering more and more. Um, exactly. So from that standpoint, I think, um, it, you, you know, they'll come around. But the only thing that's stopping it at this point is marijuana's designation as a class one substance. We need more research. I mean, we do have a lot, but, you know, more research in humans as opposed to animal models. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I hope that happens because I know plenty of humans who are willing to be test subjects. So <laughs> I'll be the first in line. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Patel. And it's Dr. Roshna Patel. Did I say that correctly? Yes. You said it right. Score. (laughs) Right on. Um, Well, I will have all of your contact information uh, on my website with this podcast, thespliffpodcast.com. And I cannot thank you enough for, for coming out here and doing the work that you do. It's always my advice to those who are really filled with trepidation about pursuing cannabis as as a medical form um as a form of medicine 
to go talk to a doctor, to see a doctor, because that's really what they want to do anyway. And it, it has to come down to doctors being willing to to talk about it and to educate themselves. So thank you very much for your courageous work. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's really the support of people like you that keeps me going. Because um, there are days where it's like, what in the heck am I doing? But, <laughs> but, but you know, so this sort of support um, is great to have. You're doing the people's work. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Was there any last thing you wanted to say to people uh, before I could? Uh... No, I mean, if people have questions for me, they're more than welcome to post them on on my YouTube channel in the comments section. Um, and I I try to um, uh, to answer as many questions as possible, but I always like to do a thorough job in answering questions and everything I try to back up with research. So it does take me a while to, to get to answers, but they'll eventually get, you know, be posted on there. So so you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to, to keep up with latest updates, and you can always post in the comments sections if you have questions yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much, doctor. Yeah, I will thank be forwarding you. you that link. Um, I'm going to wrap this up here and then I'll get it straight out to you. All right. Okay, perfect. All right. All right. You have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, I hope you guys found that useful, entertaining, enlightening. I know I certainly did. Um, a couple things that I want to talk about. Uh, I had asked Dr. Patel how she kind of navigates not being able to work directly with dispensaries in being able to recommend things to her patients. And when she responded with the fact that she doesn't really look at strains, that she looks at cannabinoid ratios and, and the science, because the science isn't looking at strains, it just really to me, highlights a huge problem in the medical cannabis area, which is, okay, I get that doctors and dispensaries should not be in bed together the same way that doctors and pharmaceutical companies should not be in bed together. But there are pharmaceutical representatives that whatever this has really played out into in our current climate with doctors being bought off and, and drugs just being turned over uh, as quickly as their patent runs out. Uh, there's still an inherent need for a go-between between the medical field and the pharmaceutical field. There's a genuine need for for pharmaceutical reps. And I feel very much the same way about the cannabis industry when dealing with the medical profession. There needs to be some sort of concierge to doctors between dispensaries that aren't financially obligated to either side, quite frankly, that are obligated to the patient, to the truth, and to cannabis. I mean, obviously, quite frankly, I would love to be a concierge of that nature. And I do think that it's going to depend upon people like me to put ourselves, well, to, to really throw ourselves into that chasm that is currently there. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get blunted right now, and it's nothing personal against Dr. Patel or anybody else who just, I, well, to use her words, is a bit naive about it. Strain names matter. This is a plant. And it's one of the most creative and fun plants that you can breed with. Not that I know personally, but you know, I hear stories. I got friends, Rasta Jeff, thank you. And not only is this a creative plant to cultivate, it's a plant that induces creativity. And I don't see anybody hating on rose breeders for making a rose a slightly different shade of red with maybe a slightly different perfume scent to it and calling it whatever the fuck they want. You know, nobody's hating on the fact that Ronald and Nancy Reagan have roses because they love them so much and and they made them the national flower. And yeah, of course, why wouldn't you name a rose after the Reagans? Well, why the fuck wouldn't you name cannabis after some rappers? It's the same thing. The lack of a scientific naming system should not invalidate the system that's already been put in place. The scientific 
to me, the scientific field needs to catch up and they need to respect the stray names that are there and then use that to kind of create a better scientific labeling system. Each one really needs to be looked at in a particular way to see how it actually genuinely reflects the phenotypes, the genotypes. That's going to be super complicated. I have no idea when that's going to be done. But stoners, especially breeders, shouldn't be faulted for their creative endeavors simply because the medical field uh, feels iffy about it. I feel iffy having to watch fucking ED commercials all the time. I feel iffy about the laundry list of side effects that comes with the majority of prescriptions that are being advertised on TV, yet alone the side effects that come with almost every single pharmaceutical prescription out there. I don't like their names. I don't understand their names. At least to me, I understand the cannabis names. It's called jargon. Just because you're looking from the outside in does not make it invalid. It's just playing on your own naivety and dismissing the grower's creativity, their dedication to the plant, and their inherent understanding of the nuances that breeding and genetics can bring about. All right, I'm going to get off my blunt box now. Time for a safety meeting. Let's take a dab. All right, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit this time. I have a friend in Washington who is processing CO2 distillate. Uh, and he's he's putting it in what are called dablicators. Dablicators are glass syringes that are filled usually with supercritical CO2 oil. And the supercritical CO2 oil, because uh, I was talking about or talking about it earlier. I might as well just uh, clarify it at some point, I guess. Supercritical CO2 is cannabis oil that has been run multiple times in order to activate as much of the THCA into THC. So it is a much more bioavailable activated cannabis oil that is easy to use as an edible for those that need that. Now, when you're dabbing it, because it's already activated, it it doesn't come across the same way as, say, a butane extraction, uh, what is more known as wax or shatter. And unlike subcritical CO2, which is run at cooler temperatures and not as often, it's it's got fewer terpenes in it. So the taste isn't as... Well, it just, it doesn't have a full bouquet like the cannabis plant is known for. It has usually one prominent taste to it, like pine or pepper or lavender. It's got one note in its scent and taste. So traditionally, I don't care for it, but my boy was fucking looking for feedback and I'm a tough critic. So I really appreciate that he is letting me give him some honest reviews. The first, my first impression is that it seems a little overrun. It seems like it might have some CBN in it or be pretty high on the CBN. Uh, the taste is actually pretty good. It's It's got a banana kind of taste to it. So it's like a sweet strawberry banana. It does taste a bit like... Um, flavor terpenes, uh, food safe terpenes, but not quite as artificially sweet. So it does say cannabis derived terpenes on there. And that's an important distinction, mostly because I can taste it and I can feel it. Uh, and so I took a couple dabs of it and it was pretty laid back. Mellow bananas are usually more of like a body relaxing feel to them anyway. So that, that part definitely came across. And because it's already activated, it's super easy to make edibles with. You basically just mix it into an oil and then you eat it. So I did that. I put a little bit, uh, just a drop of it since it's in a... um a syringe, it can be pretty easy to measure out. 
though when you're actually dabbing with it, the heat makes it very runny and it can all run out on you very quickly. So you have to be really on point and watch what you're doing with it. Um, But I made myself an edible. I squeezed a little bit out into a gelatin capsule and then I mixed it with some of the MCT oil so that it would emulsify as quickly as possible. And then I ate it. And I would say within 40 minutes, I had to take a nap. I had to take a nap. And I only had to take about an hour nap before I was up again and good to go. Um, It's another reason why I feel like it's a little heavy on the CBN. It made me very tired, but it didn't last long. Whereas THC doesn't usually hit me that hard and it lasts much longer. If I eat an edible that makes me sleepy, I need like a four hour nap at least and I'm going to wake up groggy. Whereas with the CBN, I talked about a couple weeks ago, it makes me tired very quickly, but then it also wears off pretty quickly. The good news is that I didn't wake up irritable. So it might be a terpene issue, which is something I had suspected from the CBN I was using before. So I'm still playing with it. I've got about half the syringe left. Um, I've definitely dabbed out other people with it and they love how smooth it is. They love how like just it, it expands in your lungs. It's it, it can be very smooth to a point, but then after, if you try to hold it in, it is very expansive and it, it, it's a struggle. You can hold it down, but you want it to come out. So it's stoners love playing with it. And a lot of the stoners that I've smoked out with it, they're digging it. They like it. Me, it's still a little too heavy without being heavy enough for nighttime. And it's still a little sweeter than I care for in my dabs. I don't really go for like a banana bread. I don't usually go for the bananas in cannabis, period. Um, But they're very popular. And as an indica, they can be very effective for body pain. Uh, And then they can also lean into sativa dominant hybrids. But they usually kick back in the the hybrid to indica range when you're talking bananas. Strawberry banana, that'll lean more into the the sativa dominant hybrid range. I'm just rambling. Let's take a fucking dab. All right, I got my bad boy Cheech here all heated up. Uh, The nice thing about the dablicator is that it's really easy to go. You don't have to prepare anything. You just uh, uncap it and dab. Oh man, I just dribbled some on my arm. That part sucked. The nice thing about the dablicator with the CO2 oil too is though, and I have been finding myself using it more for this than anything else really, is topical application. Uh, This is pure THC here. It's wonderful for fighting skin cancer, um, reshaping moles. You can mix it with a little oil topically for added pain relief. Uh, You know, another thing uh, I just thought of with the syringe is Corey Yellen from Cannabis Health Radio, whom I interviewed a couple weeks ago. She, uh, along with her co-host Ian, she is always telling people to use RSO as a suppository, not mixed with any uh, other oil, just as it is. And she usually suggests that they insert the syringe as a suppository applicator of sorts. And I think that this would be an easier way to do that. Also with a fully activated oil. So you don't have to, um, you know, RSO is usually on the funkier looking side. It's a very thick black oil. Whereas this is, it's still very viscous. It's a thick oil very resinous, but it's much easier to work with. And I mean, maybe you don't want a glass dablicator up your butt though. One thing's for sure you don't want, you don't want to mix up your butt dablicator with your dab dablicator. That sounds like, um, 
like a dangerous scenario if you do both. Mm. Mm-mm. I think I just grossed myself out a little bit. I'm high. All right. I got to get this edited. Check out my webpage, thespliffpodcast.com. Under episode 94, the blog listing for that, I will have the link to Dr. Patel's website along with her YouTube channel. You can find all of my other podcasts that I've done, all of the 95, 96 before, because I had three that weren't numbered in any way. So I've got, I've got some listening stuff for you there. And you can also find all the other links that I've posted, all of the products that I've talked about and ways to support the podcast. If you would like to do that via the Amazon affiliate link and or the Patreon page. And hey, if you just want to give me a shout out, maybe find out how we can be friends or follow me, I've got all of my social medias on there too. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at thespliffpodcast.com. Keep it punny. Remember, Mindsight's 2020. I love punny. And then I'm on Twitter at spliffpodcast. You can email me at thespliffpodcast at gmail.com and or give me a phone call 209-867-7543. All right, you guys, I have got to get back out into some fresh air because I am dying. It's so hot and humid right now in Southern California. I do not pay these kinds of rents for this. All right. I've got a two person unicorn float that is dying to go into the ocean water and I want to make that magic happen. Let's go lose a unicorn float. All right, guys, I'm going to get this edited, get it posted. Have a great weekend. Thanks for spliffing it. Ciao for now.